Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listen in the Black Cast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes app put on the BC. Podcast on, no talking to me. Listen in the Black Cast. Keep up on comics and movies. New phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listen in the Black don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass I'm kissing. Listen in the black cast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen in the black cast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey. Talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen in the black Met this girl, she smiled in my face Black cast in Chile to my place Had one beer, she brought a whole case Listen in the black cast Cops knock on the door and listen Black cast on, they think I'm Christian Cops ran off, now I ain't trippin' Listen in the black cast My point is, listen to this show Don't need me to tell you it's dope Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgow Listen in the black cast Oh yeah, that's the black cast, it's one of those twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on Afterbus TV, that's right. That's that guy Christian, you rock! Alright, terrible Texas had to go take care of some business. But I'm here to say, have a nice day. And listen to the damn show. This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt, his trusty co-hosts Will Sterling and Jeff DeRay. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Joining me now is musician Ron Keel, whose Ron Keel band has a new album coming out, a South by South Dakota. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for the opportunity, Christian. Great to uh, be on your show and, and cop up latitude with you and your <laughs> viewers and listeners. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Grab something and hold on, man. Yeah. All right. It's one of those days. Anybody who has a blatitude to suggest, go ahead and uh, post it on Twitter. You can tweet <laughs> us at Blatcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. Use the hashtag Blatitude. Now, uh, you and I were talking right before we got started. Obviously, everybody is uh, doing stuff from home. And as I've talked to a lot of musicians, there's you know, some very different locations that uh, people have had. I talked to David Ellison from Megadeth, and he's got kind of like a really nice office, but with a ton of stuff on the walls. And he was pointing out that he was kind of getting tired of seeing all the same stuff, so he might change it. But uh, for those watching on YouTube, not listening just to the audio version, I wanted to hear a little bit about some of the Metal Cowboy stuff that you have behind you. Welcome to the fan cave. And everything you see, this is my performance area that's built in my uh, basement here at the Keel House. Everything you see is a gift from fans, or except for the guitars. I had to pay sure. for those, some of them. But most of these, if you could see, all the cool stuff that uh, has been given to me by a lot of the the Keelaholics out there, and a good friend of mine, the artist. Where's the uh, way over here? The artwork from the Judas Priest. Uh, what is the last album? Come on, Firepower. Yeah, Firepower. That's Claudio Bergman's art. He's a good friend of mine. Oh, he gifted cool. me those. The just uh, a place that's all decorated. I'm, I'm not big on hanging awards on the sure. wall or posters of me and. But uh, this is a great place for me to decorate my performance area with gifts that have been given to me through the years by a lot of the Keelaholics and fans. It's a very comfortable vibe for me to 
to entertain, to do interviews like this and to uh, hang out and play and sing and, and talk to rock with guys like you. Well, yeah, that was what I wanted to ask about, sort of how you're uh, handling, you know, quarantine life. Are you doing a lot of like live streaming? You know, so many musicians are, you know, streaming performances. Uh, and, you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite things that's going on right now is uh, Bruce Kulick from Kiss will just play a couple of riffs and talk about, you know, this song and that song. And uh, it seems like he's doing it every day. So I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of great opportunity for stuff like that. Uh, so uh, other than interviews, are you doing uh, any performing out of there? There's some great content online. Some of yeah. my peers and, you know, everybody's uh, got the itch to, to, to perform and to express themselves. And I've seen some great performances online on the internet. I've also seen some garbage. I mean, you're going to have to weed through that stuff to, to get to the good stuff. I, uh, I don't like to call it quarantine because I'm not sick. Sure. Um, and I've been working from home now seriously for several years. In 2017, my wife was diagnosed with uh, stage three cancer. And at that point, when you get that diagnosis, it changes everything. Sure, All of a that. sudden, our, our touring plans had to radically change and I had to figure out a way to entertain people from home while I'm taking care of her and making sure that she's my number one priority to be there with her through the chemotherapy, the radiation, the nine surgical procedures that she had. She's doing great, she's cancer free now, but at the time, you don't know. You just got to take it one day at a time and one sure. treatment at a time. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could entertain and do what I love to do from home. So I built the fan cave and I created a platform online at patreon.com slash Ron Keel, where we have live interaction with our audience, our friends, our fans. It's a, a family community where I share exclusive audio, video content, uh, performances here from the fan cave, songwriting classes, guitar lessons, uh, exclusive video and unreleased tracks, demos. You can download entire albums on my Patreon site. So it was a, a way for me to, to continue working from home. So literally, I, I guess I was a little more prepared for the pandemic than most artists because I've been doing this for years. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it's obviously never a convenient time to have a global pandemic and for people to, you know, sort of be on, on lockdown, however you want to characterize it. But for where we're at technology, technologically right now, I mean, it's great because, you know, you and I are talking right now and it's, uh, it's much better than if uh, we were doing an old phone call, you know, uh, you know, sort of a radio call and that sort of thing. Exactly. So, you know, we're able to do so much more and it helps us, I would say it helps us feel even oddly, even more connected, you know, I mean, we, we do like a like a, a Zoom dinner with my wife's parents and her sister probably every two awesome. to three weeks, and you know we didn't get together that often, so it's it's kind of uh, been fun in that way. Um, now, you, the new album uh, South by South Dakota. You've lived in South Dakota for a while. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to uh, what bring what brought you initially out to South Dakota. Was that when uh, you had to kind of slow things down and uh, get off the road for a little bit, or uh, how'd you end up there? No, I've never slowed down and I've never gotten off the road and I don't plan to. I'd like to get right. back on the road as soon as possible. Sure. I moved to South Dakota five years ago to spearhead a project called Badlands Pawn. It was a 70,000 square foot concert venue, pawn shop, retail outlet. We had bands there like Megadeth, Kiss. You didn't and, uh, disturb. Do show there. I think I, I think I saw some of it. I don't know that that was legal, Kiss. but I think they did an acoustic show out there, right? 
Kiss performed their acoustic yeah. in February of 2015 yeah. and uh, 2016. And I was the basically a big part of that project. I uh, was the leader of the Badlands House Band, a voice on the radio station, KBAD 94.5 FM. I did the daily midday show, 10 to 2 a.m. on the radio, did the, the Badlands House Band after that. And that opportunity gave me the chance to assemble my dream team of musicians. The guys in my band now, the same guys from the Badlands House Band, we rebranded that in uh, 2017 when the business went belly up and uh, was uh, no more. They closed their doors, but we realized that we had such a great chemistry and a great uh, bond and camaraderie and, and uh, just uh, an amazing group of musicians and friends. So we kept the band together and rebranded it as the Ron Keel Band. And the last three years have been uh, just continuing to, to build on that uh, identity, credibility, releasing a couple of records. Last year's Fight Like a Band album. We're very proud of that and certainly very proud of the new album, South by South Dakota, which has just been released. And the new music video coming out next week for Red, White, and Blue. It is uh, a classic rock anthem, which was originally recorded by Leonard Skinner. And our version is uh, a tribute to... What we're all going through right now, Christian, sure. I do believe that every time in our lives needs a soundtrack. The South by South Dakota album, I believe, will end up being, for me and for probably a lot of our fans and friends and listeners, South by South Dakota will be the soundtrack of 2020. We'll listen back to this album years from now and remember what we're all going through in the summer of 2020. And it, this will be a time that will live on. And that, that music that we've released on this new record, I think, is a perfect accompaniment to that. One reviewer called it comfort food for, for the ears. And it's a very, uh, very comfortable place for me. And for the first album that I can ever say that every song on the record is absolutely fantastic. They're all great songs because I didn't write any of them. <laughs> these, these songs are, are classics from the Southern Rock Songbook and the American Classic Rock Songbook that have stood the test of time, recorded originally by icons like the Allman Brothers Band, Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, 38 Special, Molly Hatchet, Outlaws, Blackfoot. So uh, the songs speak for themselves and I, I'm very proud of our versions. I would like to think and hope that the original artists would approve of what we've done to these songs and know that we're just uh, saluting those that came before us and thanking them for the years, the music and the memories. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the album. What I, when I was looking at some of the artists that uh, you, know, you guys are doing your own versions of these songs, I was trying to think if there had ever been a collection that had Molly Hatchet and CCR on it before. Uh, so I think that uh, you, know, you might actually be the first. So I think it's great. And uh, I think the uh, Red, White and Blue song is, like you said, it's a Leonard Skinner song. And my memory of that song is, it, it was a big song in like 2003, but they, they wrote it after 9-11. And obviously these are very different times, but there's a lot of similar feelings that people have sort of, you know, the, the just overall sadness and, you know, things are different. We are uh, more apart. And, you know, I think that uh, this would be a good time for some of those same feelings. So did you, uh, when, at what point did you decide to do that song and, when did you realize this is, a, this is the perfect song to do a video for right now? Well, we've been doing the song for a long time in the show. 
I love the tune. I don't even remember when I learned it or when I first started playing it or singing it, but we've uh, we've included it in the show for years. And when it was time to do a Southern rock tribute album, we can talk about how the album concept originated and how we actually ended up with South by South Dakota because it's an unusual story. But once we realized we've got the foundation of a great Southern rock covers album, we were in the studio just jamming and having a good time and playing some songs we know and love. Flirting with Disaster from Hatchet was the first song that we cut. And we're just warming up, playing around during the Fight Like a Band sessions. And I realized after three or four days, four or five cuts, that we had something very special. I listened back to the tracks. I didn't even know we were recording. So some of these songs, the foundations were recorded before I even know that my producer, Mike Dresch, is going red and hitting the record button. But listening back to it, I realized, man, we've got something here. This is really special. First of all, they're great songs. And you've got a bunch of guys in the studio that don't even know they're recording. They're just having fun, playing music, and being themselves and hanging with each other. Something very special, organic about that experience. And so after about four or five songs, I think we cut uh, Train Train, Rockin' Into the Night, Learn With Disaster. You know, we've got, got some strong cuts there. And I was listening back, and I realized this is the foundation for an album. This, there's something really special here. And the idea to call it South by South Dakota just popped into my head. It's not a stroke of genius or anything. Just immediately the light bulb goes off over my head <laughs> because it's a Southern rock album by a bunch of guys in South Dakota. Sure. So the title came to me and then I realized, okay, we've got the foundation here. We got to make an album and finish this off with songs from all of those other iconic Southern rock legends. We've got to have an Alvin Brothers song, right? So we chose Ramblin' Man. I can tell nice. you the story about that session. That's a great session as well. But you've got to have a Skinner song. You can't do a Southern Rock tribute album without a Skinner song. And every one of those hits, they're all sacred ground. And I've sung them all through the years. I actually got to sing Sweet Home Alabama with Ed King, the guy who wrote it. So that was a huge thrill. But That's very cool, yeah. When it came time to cover Skinner, I thought, let's, let's go a little left of center here and, and record this Red, White, and Blue song because it's a song that I've been singing and that I've, I love for years. It was in the show already, but not a song that everybody was familiar with or had heard before. It's not like Sweet Home Alabama or Give Me Three Steps or Freebird hasn't been uh, just hammered heavily on the radio for, for decades. Uh, to many people, it's a fresh track because a lot of people don't remember that original top three version that Skinner released in 2003. So that was the choice for the Skinner song. Gotta have a Skinner song. Red, White, and Blue is one of our favorites. Let's cut it. I think the decision to release it as a single was another one of those just impulses. I'm thinking the record company, Bill Chavis at Highball Music asked, Ron, what do you think? What's the single gonna be? And I thought that Red, White, and Blue was the perfect choice because it really is, it's more intense. Even though it's a, a ballad in a lot of ways, it's more intense and it, it has a meaning and a resonance that not just for 2020, but for 2003 and probably 30 years from now, that song is still going to ring true. And it felt like uh, the recorded version is something I'm really proud of as well. Maybe that the fact that I did the lead vocal with the fans. I mean, you were asking about live streaming earlier in the interview. Yeah, I actually did the lead vocal to Red, White, and Blue on this very same webcam as the fans are watching. I invited my fans on patreon.com slash 
Ron Keel, into the studio with me so they could experience what it's like to be in the studio cutting a master vocal, me and the interaction with my producer and engineer. And so that vocal was recorded in front of the fans. Of course, the pressure's on. And I think the vocal turned out pretty good, and I'm really proud of that. I'm just proud of the whole song and what it's all about and excited to debut the music video for Red, White, and Blue at ultimateclassicrock.com on May 28th for one day only. Ultimateclassicrock.com, which is one of the huge ultimate classic rock sites for them to, to partner with us uh, as a media partner and host the premiere, the world premiere of the new videos is a huge honor for us and want to thank ultimateclassicrock.com for, uh, for giving us a platform to share this music video with our fans around the world and the the pandemic as we've spoken about that that's always going to be the big elephant in the room we talk about it before during and after the interview and how it's brought everybody closer together and it really has I mean, families are spending more time together now at the dinner table everyone is spending more time together online you you mentioned having dinner with your in-laws yeah uh, the the music video for red white and blue was a unique challenge because due to it's not social distancing it's musical distancing we can't play in the same room together right now i took each of the guys in the band to a different iconic south dakota location and shot the footage individually so each guy has his own special location our bass player gino arce uh, on top of a kenworth truck to pay tribute to our truckers the entire trucking industry that's keeping the wheels turning and keeping us all supplied during these difficult times. Of course, the lead singer, Ron Keel, gets to shoot his footage at Mount Rushmore. Of course, because he's the lead singer, right? Yeah. So I go to Mount Rushmore, and this is the first beautiful spring day on a Saturday afternoon, springtime in South Dakota. Mount Rushmore is absolutely beautiful. Saturday afternoon, Christian, there's nobody there. Yeah. It's absolutely a ghost town. You go in, there's nobody, you don't pay to park, you just drive on in, and you walk in with, I walked in with my guitar, and there was nobody there, no tourists, no families. So we had literally a, a free reign on the location. And we did that at Terrace Park here in Sioux Falls as well. I live in Sioux Falls and we filmed our keyboard player, Dakota Scott, at a place called Terrace Park, which is a beautiful outdoor amphitheater-like park with these terraced uh, areas where families can picnic and watch shows. And there's a bandstand and a stage and a playground and all this. On a Saturday afternoon, beautiful day, at Terrace Park in Sioux Falls, there's nobody there. He's playing the piano on an empty stage in an empty park. And we're behind him shooting video of, of just the, the, the emptiness. Uh, the lockdown has been tough on all of us in a lot of ways. It has brought us closer together, as we've mentioned. It's been tough uh, in a lot of ways, but without it, we could have never filmed such an epic music video. So in more ways than one, the song, and the music video itself are a, a time capsule of what we're all going through in 2020. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was reading before we started talking, I was reading about the fact that you filmed at Mount Rushmore and nobody was there. And, you know, like probably a lot of people who are, have visited South Dakota, one of the only places I've been is Mount Rushmore. I went to Mount Rushmore and I went to the, uh, the Crazy Horse Memorial. And this was about 17 years oh, yeah. ago. So I don't know how much further along that is, but uh, you know, they only had like part Not of the much. space done at that point. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be a long time. Yeah, that's going to be it a It was while. closed. I, I thought about it, but yeah. that was totally closed down. You can't even get into the Crazy Horse Memorial, which is a beautiful, epic yeah. location. 
Uh, I would have definitely loved to have taken my guitar and our camera crew up there, uh, but it was closed down. Mount Rushmore, like I said, was wide open. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing that surprised me that you were able to just kind of go up there to it. But uh, that that must have uh, been weird because go figure, you know. I mean, I I was there, two thousand three when I I when I moved from New York to Los Angeles, I drove cross country. I went like yeah. hours out of my way so that I could see it because I'm like, when am I you ever going to be at yeah. this line on the map? Let me just go up a little bit and check it out. And I was glad exactly. I did. And. Uh, you know, my, my son is four and he's really into like looking at maps now and talking about all these places he wants to go. And, you know, when you have like the, when you have the South Dakota on your map, there's usually a little picture of Mount Rushmore. So it's, it's like, That's right. It, it is perfect. It's yeah. America and it's South Dakota. Nothing really says the USA and South Dakota in the same sentence like Mount Rushmore. So it was a, a, a perfect opportunity and a great place for, for me to shoot the video. And, yeah. um, I, I, I look back at the, the photos and the images and the footage and it's just uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like even now watching the video and it's not even out yet. We're not even finished with the final edit. It's uh, it's a very special piece to me and I can't wait to share it with everybody and hopefully everybody will enjoy it uh, and know what it means to me. And, and uh, hopefully the guys in Skinner who really, yeah. you know, Johnny Van Zandt, his brother Donnie wrote the song with the Warren brothers back right after 9-11, as you mentioned. I'm sure it's a very special song for them as well. And you're always nervous when you're covering songs from your heroes or people that, that you actually know. I mean, I've had Ricky Medlock on my radio show before. He's a, a huge hero of mine. And Ricky played on the original versions of both Train Train, of course, because his dad, Shorty, wrote the song. Right. Train Train is the lead track from South by South Dakota. And Ricky also played on uh, Red, White, and Blue on the original Skinner album on Vicious, Vicious Rumors. So, um it's, it's it's exciting and a little scary to know that those guys are going to hear it and and hopefully they'll approve another song that is very special and close to my heart is fire on the mountain which is the marshall tucker cover and i knew george mccorkle really well the guy who wrote the song and he wrote can't you see fire on the mountain all these classic marshall tucker southern rock anthems and when i was living in nashville gosh yeah, 15 16 years ago George became a friend of ours, and he would come out and he would jam with us at, at gigs. He actually co-wrote the title track to our 2004 album, Bring It On. Uh, George and I co-wrote that song together, and he wrote a song for us called The Best Move on that same album. And he's the guy who wrote Fire on the Mountain, and he passed away, I think, what, eight years ago of cancer. Uh, you know, whenever you sing these songs, or you play them live, or you record them on an album like South by South Dakota, you're always singing them for the guys that wrote them and the guys that made them famous in the first place and just really hope for their approval. I know the fans love it. The, the numbers are off the charts, the orders, the sales, the streams on Spotify and uh, the, the response to the album has been overwhelming to say the least. I'm a little surprised and, and very, very pleased by that response from the fans and the media. Uh, so the, it's obvious that the fans are digging this record and, and it's a special part of their summer soundtrack. But uh, like I said, you want to make sure that the guys that, that created it are approving and happy and uh, know that I'm doing this in part to salute them and the, the part they played in, in, in being the soundtrack of my life. Sure. No, absolutely. And I don't know. I mean, from, from afar, you always at least get a great vibe from the, uh, the guys in Skinnerd and, you know, looking in this, this time where, uh, you know, everybody's hang was hanging on to concert tickets and just waiting to figure yeah. out when there would be a refund. I think Skinnerd was the first band like, we're just going to cancel everything. We'll figure it out later so that people could get their money yeah. back. 
And I mean, there's, there's huge tours. We don't need to name any of the bands that are still holding on to money for shows that you know aren't going to happen because, and then it's not so much the bands. There's the promoters and they're just like, no, we're going to hold on to that money as long as we can. And I thought that was great. I mean, this was, I don't even know, like six weeks ago, Skinner was like, yeah, we're going to blow out our whole tour. We'll figure it out later. And uh, well, that's, that, that, those guys are American heroes, man. Yeah. They're always going to do the right thing. They're going to stand up for what's right. And, uh, you know, that's one, one thing I admire about them is their character and, and their ability to deal with adversity. No band has been through more, I think, than, than Leonard Skinner in the past sure. four years or however long it's been. I remember listening to, the, to their music when I was in high school and uh, admired them. And, of course, I cried when the plane crashed. And then after the plane crashed, the Rossington Collins band was the next taste we got from Leonard Skinner. Of course, Gary Rossington, Alan Collins and crew, the survivors put together a band called Rossington Collins band. And I felt it was important for us to also pay tribute to that project. And one of their signature songs on the new album, Don't Misunderstand Me, which is a duet with Jasmine Kane. And for us back then, you're probably too young to, I'm sure, looking at you on the screen, you're probably way too young to remember that project. But for us, after the heartbreak of the Skinner plane crash, to finally see some new incarnation of that band rise from the ashes as the Rossington Collins band, it was a big deal. And they still had that same, they had some great songs. They had the female vocals mixed in the mix. And uh, we covered that song. That was one of the songs that came after when you decide, okay, we're we're gonna make the Southern Rock tribute record. We're five or six songs deep. And then how do you choose the rest of the songs? Of course, you got to have the, the Skinner song, which we've already talked about. Yeah. The Allman Brothers song, which we can talk about if you like. I've got some great stories about that one. But the one song that I felt was really important to include was Don't Misunderstand Me, which is a song that a lot of our fans had never heard before we started playing it or uh, sharing it with them off that Rossington Collins record. And, of course, it's a male-female duet. So we recruited Miss South Dakota, uh, she is Jasmine Kane. She is literally, this is the rock and roll queen of, of South Dakota. She's born, was born during the Sturgis rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. Wow. This is the biggest bike event. Uh, we, we, sure. you know, we all know about the Sturgis rally. 80 years this year, celebrating the 80th anniversary. And Jasmine was born at the rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. We've become really good friends on tour the last three or four years because we do a lot of the same bike events. The Sturgis Rally, for one. The Lone Star Rally down at Galveston. Uh, Daytona, the Bike Week, Biketoberfest. So we see each other. We cross paths often. And last year we were in Sturgis, South Dakota, on the same bill, Jasmine and Ron, Jasmine Kane and Ron Keel Band in the same stage, same gig. And I said, why don't you come sing this song with me? And we printed out a lyric sheet. And we rehearsed it backstage. And she came out, out on stage and just nailed it. And obviously that was the... It was a no-brainer to get Jasmine in the studio to record that duet with us. I'm super happy with, with the results and, and just really cool to have a duet with Jasmine Kane on the record. And the song has got a very special and important place in the tapestry of classic rock slash southern rock. Yeah, well, you know, you, you referenced it and I did want to ask you about the Almond Brothers song, you said you did Ramblin' Man. Uh, so uh, talk about sort of the, the selection of that and uh, recording that for the album. Okay, that's a totally different story because with the Skinner stuff, you don't want to tread on sacred ground, man. You don't sure. want to do Sweet Home Alabama yeah. or Give Me Three Steps. The <laughs> Almond Brothers, 
of course, I take the opposite philosophy and go straight to the top. They're really their <laughs> signature song. Yeah. If you're going to pick one Allman Brothers song, and the reason I picked it, I think is because I've been playing it for a lot of years. I do it in my solo acoustic show, and I've, I've sat around the campfire or around the, you know, on a bar stool on many occasions singing Ramblin' Man. Plus, the, the lyrical subject matter, it, it's my story. I mean, my father was a gambler down in Georgia. He wound up on the wrong end of a gun. I was born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus. Yeah, I mean, pretty much my whole life story in the lyric. <laughs> right. So the song, the lyrical content really hits home with me. And I, I told the guys, you know, we're going to cut an Allman Brothers song. It's going to have to be this one, right? And I've been playing it in G my entire life, just an open G chord. And, you know, but then we, we put on the record and we realize it's in A flat. Are you kidding me? So now we have to transpose the entire song up a half step. So we had to transpose the entire song. The bass player had to learn it on the spot, not in an open key, but in a, in a flat key, which is A flat, which is really strange. And we listened to it a couple times in the studio. I said, well, let's give it a shot. You know, let's go ahead, just click the sticks and see what happens. And the drummer goes, one, two, three, four, and we cut the whole thing. First take, top wow. to bottom, no stops, no fixes, no punch-ins, none of that studio wizardry. We just cut the whole thing first take, which is really cool to have a that captured that moment because we had never played that song live we had never had that that song wasn't in the show it wasn't part of our oh, wow. our song list so to cut the song live first take and to have that memory immortalized on the south by south dakota record is a pretty cool thing and one thing that's really cool about it christine is also if you listen very carefully don't listen too carefully but if you listen carefully you will hear a couple of notes that are maybe a little i don't know if they're wrong but I'm not sure they're right either, but, but <laughs> some of those, when the, when the piano the piano and the bass and the, the harmony guitars are doing all this complicated stuff together, it's, I didn't really take the time to map out those sections. Okay, you do this and you do this. We just kind of played. Sure. I think there's a few wrong notes on there. And after listening back to the mix, I go, let's just leave it, man. Let's just leave yeah. it. Let's just release it the way it is. It's natural. It's organic. It's capturing that one special moment one take in the studio and it's, it's better like it is than it would be if we tried to fix it. Another special moment like that on the record is the Credence Medley. You mentioned the uh, CCR, which is a really special piece, which ends the record. It's the last thing you hear. If you listen to the whole thing top to bottom, and I highly recommend you listen to the entire record right, from top to bottom. But if you get all the way through the damn thing, you'll hear the Credence Medley live at the end of the, the album. And it was recorded live at our very first show ever, which is, uh, to me, wow. I, I just thought that was just really cool to include that memory and that moment from our very first gig as the Badlands house band, getting back to the original subject matter, how did you get to South Dakota in the first place as <laughs> right. the Badlands house band? That was recorded at our very first gig. And Credence isn't really known or classified as Southern rock. But I, as far as I'm concerned, that's as, that's as swampy as it gets, man. It's Credence is, uh, they were Southern Rock before the Allman Brothers, I think. So uh, we've been including these little medleys in the show, like you'll hear with the Credence medley. It's uh, 
little mashup, I guess you'd call it, of, of several different songs. You weave yourself in and out of a, a verse or a chorus, and then you kind of transition from one song to the next. It goes from uh, Born on the Bayou into Bad Moon Rising into Fortunate Sun. And this is how we've enabled ourselves to go out on tour and play these big bike events or fairs or festivals for you know, 10, 20,000 people or more. And to be honest with you, a lot of times at those big events, those audiences don't know me or my history. They, there may be 10% of them who've heard of Keel or sure. Ron Keel or know about the right to rock and my association with Gene Simmons or Black Sabbath and all that. Those people at the bike events, at the rallies or at the fair, the festival, they just want to be entertained. And I didn't want to be a cover band. I wanted to put our, our own show together, but I also wanted to pay tribute to some of those iconic acts like we're doing with the South by South Dakota album. So we started building these little seven to 12 minute medleys. And throughout the course of the show, we'll open with a couple of our own tunes. Then we'll launch into the Marshall Tucker medley, which is you know, literally 12 minutes of fire on the mountain, can't you see, heard it in a love song. And later on in the show, we'll do a little Skinner medley, a little 12 minute passage. We'll do Red, White and Blue, and then Sweet Home Alabama, Freebird. It's just a little piece of each song, kind of a show piece. It, it very much like a Las Vegas. If, if there was a, a redneck Southern Rock Las Vegas show, it would be Rock Heel Band. So that way we're giving the audience the, the songs that they know and love, that they can sing along with, that, that have been a part of the soundtrack of their lives, while also introducing them to our new music and the music that I've created over the last 30 years in the course of my career. So those medleys have, have been a really important part of the show because we're not a cover band, but we include those little tributes throughout the course of a Ron Keel Band concert. And that Credence medley is the uh, CCR tribute from the very first gig ever. I mean, recorded live as raw as it gets. The audio quality is great though. It's not, I mean, it's, I'm very proud of the production and the audio quality and the mix on that live track. And I'm just glad we pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, and to the, uh, to the, the point of the, the redneck review you're speaking of, I feel like it would probably be more fitting if it was like in Branson, Missouri or something, you know, I mean, it's uh, you don't want to, you don't want to bring it out to Vegas. I think they would probably ruin it. You know, you want to. Dude, I was, I produced, I produced and starred in the longest running country music show in the history of Las Vegas. I think I, I read that in the notes. And uh, so you, yeah. you were also in the show, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, when I went there, when I went there in 2006 to create this show and I'm yeah. sitting across the desk from all the casino executives, the entertainment directors, uh, country music doesn't work here. It's never going to work here. This is Vegas. You got to have dancing girls and backing tracks. <laughs> sure. I said, no, no. Country music is the music of the people. And it's going to work here. You get people from all over the world congregating in Vegas. The show is hugely successful. We ran for 10 years. I started the show for a long, long time until I got too busy. And my partner uh, still kept the show going after I moved to South Dakota. And I'm uh, very, very proud of that accomplishment. But I, I think South by South Dakota as a show with sure. the Ron Keel Band, I, I guarantee you that would work great in Vegas. I would take it back there in a heartbeat. I hope that as I've got a lot of friends out there, you know, I lived there for 10 years. And, yeah, sure. Uh, they're, they're struggling right now more than ever. We're not, we're not seeing so much of the pandemic effect here in South Dakota, but in, my friends in Vegas and Los Angeles and New York are certainly going through hell and, and our hearts and prayers go out to all of them. But man, I'd take this Southern Rock tribute show to Las Vegas in a heartbeat. I guarantee you we'd pack, pack these showrooms. 
Yeah, you know, and, you know, sort of talking about the line between Southern rock and obviously country music, it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I was reading that, uh, you know, you grew up in, in Georgia. So how exactly does it happen? Does everybody like whatever music they're just uh, into? So it's like, yeah, you, you like some country music. You also like Southern rock. And then you gravitate towards the Southern rock, you know, kind of like the way that, you know, when I was growing up, I had friends who liked death metal. And I'm like, yeah, but we all kind of like the same rock bands. But then you go off into your own specific genres, you know? I guess it's all, it, music is very personal. Sure. Music, one of the most personal forms of communication or expression that we have as a human race. It's not like food where you know, you, you, can, you can learn to like spaghetti if you don't like spaghetti. Music has to resonate within you. It's gotta strike a chord in your heart, your, 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 your soul somehow. If that music doesn't strike that chord, then you're gonna go listen to something else. When I was growing up, I was a sponge for any kind of music. I loved it all. I just, I couldn't get enough of any of it from the time I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show till uh, the times when my father was playing country music. My sister was listening to the Stones and the Beatles. I joined the school band when I was 10 years old. And all of a sudden we're playing jazz, classical wow. music, uh, the blues, to me, it was all just these fascinating flavors and textures of this thing that I loved so much. It was music. Uh, I, I, I understand the cultural barriers that some people will put up. And there are certain kinds of music that don't resonate with me. And that's cool. Rap is one of them. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't like it. I won't buy it. I don't want to hear it. That's just <laughs> me. It doesn't mean it's good yeah. or bad. Yeah. It just doesn't resonate with me. It's not my culture. Uh, and it's not, you know, probably not what I grew up listening to. Now, Motown, on the other hand, dude, we, we would play Stevie Wonder and you know, the, the, the Temptations and, and Diana Ross. My goodness, the Motown stuff was huge. The Jackson 5. Uh, it was a big part of my upbringing. Uh, but a lot of the reason was that's what I was getting exposed to on the radio yeah. back in 19... 70 something you could turn on the radio and you would hear deep purple uh smoke on the water or my woman from tokyo or you'd hear the eagles uh and you'd hear motown you'd hear michael jackson you hear all the stuff in the top 40 and i i really grew up on top 40 radio and at the time there weren't those clearly defined lines you would hear literally alice cooper sure. kiss and fog hat that was what we called at the time we called it metal you know, whether it was Foghat or Deep Purple or Zeppelin, maybe, or Kiss or Alice Cooper, those those bands were, were top 40, you know, in 1975, when I was literally soaking all this stuff up like a sponge. So that's what resonated with me. I loved it all, and I still do. That's why I've been so diverse, and I, I apologize up front to my fans who've had to kind of weather that storm with me it's like they're trying to follow along and rod goes i want to go over here and now, <laughs> this is sure i'm go going over here 20 years ago i settled on a a comfortable spot so to speak in what i call no man's land between metal and country and i love metal metal is to me that and what is metal anymore we, we could discuss that for an yeah, hour for sure I mean, for me metal was priest maiden uh motorhead uh, even Def Leppard and, and Scorpions, you know, at the time in, in the, the early 80s, that was our metal. And of course, now metal has splintered off into death metal or whatever else you want to call it, yeah. all these different, different subgenres. But 
I love country music as well. I, I love the fact that country music is built around the voice and the song and the melody and the stories that you're telling and the fact that there are no limitations and both styles have evolved through the years. Music is always changing. Rock and roll does not sound like Chuck Berry and Elvis anymore. Country music does not sound like Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash anymore. Because we're evolving, we're a culture, we're the human race, we're, music is a reflection of all of us. So it's always evolving. And I think the good song and how that song is treated can always resonate with somebody who is, is receptive to it. I mean, if you've had those experiences or if you just, sometimes you just want to party, rock and roll all night, party every day, man. You want to put your fist <laughs> in the air and stop exactly. your foot and sing along. That is resonating. Yet, I don't want to get serious. I'm not, I don't want to talk about my heart being broke. I don't want to talk about what's going on in the world. I just want to, I just want to party and you know, get loud and get wild. And that's part of what rock and roll is all about. That's part of why it really appeals to me. Cause I'm still just a kid who wants to get loud and, and wild and rowdy and have a good time. Yeah. I think uh, to what you were saying before, uh, a big part of it really is what you're exposed to. And uh, you pointed out that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit younger. And so the, you know, but a lot of the same bands you're talking about, were top 40 bands when I was in middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Aerosmith had the permanent exactly. vacation and the pump record. Alice Cooper, I found on the trash record and, and, you know, I've, I've, I don't even know how many times I've seen them live yeah. since then. And so, you know, you, even at that time, 30 years ago, top 40 could still be this really cool mix. And now it just seems to be that it's basically just, it's all pop music, you know, I mean, no matter how many, yeah. no, no matter how many records, Judas Priest or Metallica or anybody sells, you know, the, the huge selling records, it's, they're not considered top 40. So it's like, you have to just really look for rock in and of itself. And I think for me, my musical tastes definitely evolved because just listening to the radio when I was a kid, all of a sudden, you know, well, all of a sudden Def Leppard is on a top 40 station, you know, and that's how I, I even found any of these bands, really. That and MTV, yeah. when MTV was MTV. So A big part of that, Christian, is the yeah. fact that the media has been the one to splinter everything into all these different subgenres. Back then, we only had several channels through which we could get our music. You had a couple of radio stations. Yeah. You had network TV, ABC, NBC, and CBS. You get Don, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert, sure. or you get American Bandstand. You get these TV shows that would expose you to Ted Nugent, Aerosmith on the Midnight Special, or Don Kirshner. Uh, you had three magazines, Circus Magazine, Hit Parader, and Cream. Maybe Rolling Stone, but not so much for the fans. I think Circus Magazine and Cream Magazine and Hit Parader were the three magazines we get our, our information from. And with, you know, we had so little, you're looking at five to 10 real sources of information or music. Now you can scroll through your Sirius XM satellite radio and you can get uh, so many different variations of country music. 90s country or outlaw and, country you get so many variations of metal in, in the space of like four yeah. channels you can get sort of the you know the, the aussie station the metal they have what uh they they have the yeah. the 90s hard rock that they call hair nation but then you have like liquid metal like literally in four channels it's like well that's kind of everything now and I, honestly i do like because like sometimes i'm in a mood for this sometimes i'm in the mood for that yeah but it is cool to kind of get the mix of, of of all the different sort of things and uh you know you were talking earlier about doing radio uh for badlands but I, I my understanding is you're still doing internet radio right so people can still find you uh right now 
Yeah, and you know, most people are listening to the radio on the internet anyway. Yeah. Terrestrial radio is, um, no, but in all honesty, actually, like I, I have friends who work in terrestrial radio and the majority of their listeners are listening on an app on their phone, you know, because absolutely. they don't want to be driving around and like, oh, well, now I've gone down the mountain and all of a sudden I can't hear my station anymore. So yeah. I, so started, like, doing, I started doing my own radio show in 2012, a right. weekly syndicated show called Streets of Rock and Roll, which at the time was very successful. We had 50 stations worldwide and literally tens of thousands of listeners. Sure. It's just an amazing experience. And for me, it's the same thing as uh, doing a rock concert. I'm able to put on a show, talk to my friends, spout my opinions, uh, and share music with, with people all over the world. So I really enjoy the radio show format. I really especially like the opportunity to interview other artists, uh, whether they're my peers or my heroes. I've had some of my all-time favorite rockers on my show and so the opportunity to interview them is uh is really special i enjoy that those conversations where it's just literally me and joe elliott from def leppard it's just a couple of singers talking about music and life and how much we love rock and roll and some of those moments are priceless uh i abandoned that in because i had to with the job that i took here in sioux falls in 2014 to be the host of a daily live show Right. which was a blast too. I mean, the live radio was killer. I mean, the interaction with the audience on a, a, in real time, the phone calls, the internet action, the, the, the excitement and the energy of that live radio show was fantastic, four hours a day. And when that was no more, that was the top rated rock voice in the region for three Nielsen ratings in a row. And That's I think great. the people really relate to me on a, I, I, I we have a, a good rapport with our audience and, I just couldn't let it go. And when that station shut down, I revived Streets of Rock and Roll. And, and we've been back on the air now for over a year, weekly on six major internet affiliate stations. Now, these stations that I'm on have been in business, some of them for over two decades. And these are the heavyweights, Total Rock Radio, PureRockRadio.net, 97 Underground in Baltimore. So these are big heavyweight stations that are airing and sharing my Streets of Rock and Roll radio show with people all over the world every week online. And of course, you can find links to the radio show and all of my other stuff that I do, the, the videos, the, the new CD, everything else at onestopshoprockeel.com. So uh, all the links and the players and stations and airtimes are all there in case anybody wants to come along for the ride with the Metal Cowboy on the Streets of Rock and Roll. Yeah. And uh, to your point, I mean, everybody's listening, whether, I mean, I, I, most of what I listen to radio wise, I do on my phone anyway. Like I, I don't, I, you know, even if I'm in my car, I just plug it in. Not that we're in the car as much as we yeah. used to be, but still it's just, it's so easy to just find anything. And so yeah, internet radio, I think has come such a long way and look, you're able to hear, look, I, I mean, I grew up in New York city, which if you were to be there today and look for rock and roll on the radio, You'd find one classic rock station and, you know, yeah. look, they mean well, but it's, it's, it's not diverse. You know, it's, you're going to hear the same songs if you listen at nine in the morning than if you listen at nine at night. And, you know, so I think that especially even in big markets, people just love being able to find things. like that. I think that's why, uh, you know, satellite radio does so well. So I'm glad that uh, you have the Internet show. Uh, before I let you go, I do need to ask you about having Gene Simmons produce uh, two of your records in the 80s and sort of how that came about and what it was like to work with Gene, who uh, obviously I, I grew up a big Kiss fan, but uh, also 
I admire Gene, one, as a businessman, two, as a musician, but also just as one of the most entertaining human beings that I, I've ever, you know, walked around. You know, I, I, I work for Dennis Miller, the comedian, and uh, we have Gene on pretty regularly. And, uh, you know, Gene and Dennis, you know, once they get going, you, you, don't, you never know really where the conversation is going to go. Yeah, I've seen some of those conversations. They're extremely entertaining. And I, I think the world of Gene and Dennis as well. Please tell Dennis I said hello, Absolutely. and I'm a big fan. Gene Simmons, to me, man, where do I start? And you hit the nail right on the head. The fact that uh, not only is he a, a real musician and an entertainer and a great human being, a lot of people don't see past the money and the makeup. I was fortunate to get to know Gene back in 1984, 85, 86, when we were working together. He was a mentor and a friend and a producer on my two uh, quintessential albums, The Right to Rock in 1985, and the final frontier in 1986 and we met it was uh when we got signed we got a record deal finally i got a major label record deal and the president of the label was kind enough to give me some input on who i wanted to work with normally they'll just put you with whoever yeah you know, sure. produ whatever producer they want to assign but he gave me a, a, a sheet of paper that had all of the heavyweights man it was max norman Michael Wagner, all these A-list guys that were producing the platinum 80s hard rock and metal records. And the, the name Gene Simmons was on the list because the president of our label had known Gene and worked with him. And Gene was looking to get into producing some new up and coming bands. And I just looked at Gene's name and I said, yeah, that's, that's who I want. Hook it up. Because looking back now, it was a brilliant business decision. We'll get into that in a minute. But at the time, it was just me as a huge KISS fan, wanting to work with somebody else who was who had who had been there and done it. Somebody who every uh, shape of, of every shape and form, a guy who was a songwriter, a singer, a musician, a frontman, a touring icon, Gene Simmons. So the label hooked it up. We met, Gene and I hit it off with the song The Right to Rock was what hooked him. And he started producing our sessions and and took me through literally couple of years of, of school and, and making those two albums. He taught me how to, how to write great songs, how to produce great records, how to function in the studio, and also a lot about business and life and music history. We would, you know, he, he really took me under his wing, taught me a lot. There are a lot of lessons that Gene taught me during those sessions that still stay with me to this day. It's kind of like any type of training when you're learning to drive or learning to, to play guitar or whatever, you remember what your teacher told you way back when, and Gene was in every way, my teacher, how the, the bass drum and the bass guitar work together to create these these kick and drum, kick and bass patterns, how the vocal harmonies should be stacked on top of each other and layered in such a way to, to give it that, that big, huge, big chorus anthem feel, which has always been one of my trademarks. And so many other lessons. I, I, I could go on and on about what sure. Gene meant to, to my life and my business and my career. But I didn't realize that outside of the musical influence, how much credit he would earn and how much he deserves for really putting me on the map. In 1985, when the Right to Rock album came out, produced by Gene Simmons, of course, we had the MTV airplay. MTV won all over the, the video and single. The Right to Rock is a huge, timeless rock anthem. So it's a really good song, and we got a ton of play from MTV. But I credit it to Gene Simmons because the Kiss Army bought that record the week it came out because Gene embraced it, Gene produced it, Gene vouched for it, so to speak. 
So we sold a we sold a ton of records the very first week it came out. Really put my career on the map. And all of a sudden, the Kiss fans were all there were now there were Keel fans. And yeah. I, I credit Gene big time for that. It's a great record. It's a great song, and the video and the album cover and all that played a part in it. But Gene deserves a a, a huge bulk of that credit for putting me on the map and I'm still here. <laughs> right. And obviously, you know, Gene helps get that ball rolling. And then, you know, I, I saw that, you know, in those days you toured with Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, Van Halen, Motley Crue. So, you know, if, if you could basically list five bands that it would be beneficial to take a rock band out on the road with, you know, those, those are the ones. So I'm yeah, sure I agree. That, yeah. Except for Kiss. Yeah. Gene, that, never, I, Gene never took us out on tour with Kiss. It's still to this day. I get a ton of fan mail from fans. Hey, man, I saw you open for Kiss in 86, man. I love your band. Dude, I hate to tell you, but it didn't happen. We never opened for Kiss. I, I would beg him. Gene, come on, man. All we need is a Kiss tour. You know, we'll be, it'll yeah. be done. It'll be a done deal. And Gene, it, it, all right, I don't think this is the right time. Or He'd always make some kind of excuse. I'm not sure why. Yeah, but he, uh, he, he produced Black and Blue, and he took them out on the road. So, you know, it was uh, – <laughs> I guess yeah. he – because yeah. he's playing favorites for some reason, but uh, I don't know. But I know Gene. He would he would get on the phone. I remember a conversation with Gene and Ozzy, and Gene was in the studio talking to Ozzy, and I'm sitting there. You know, Gene's on uh, Ozzy. You've got to take this band Keel out on tour with you this summer. All right. <laughs> I know you're going on tour, Ozzy. Actually, no, I can't do a Gene Simmons impersonation. It, it's hard because, yeah. like, the, you know, it the is. the impression is usually somebody else's impression. It, it, uh, yeah. The thing that I find helps is if you lean into the microphone and you just. Ozzy, you have Ozzie. to take this band Keel out on the road. Yeah, so you just you do it slow, and, and that's kind of. Yeah. And here's Ozzy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, and Ozzy's going on about this band Metallica. I think I'll take Metallica. She goes, no, no. Ozzy, no, you gotta no. take, you gotta take Keel out on tour. Oh, look, this band Metallica. I think I'll take it. So Metallica got the tour, and we didn't. But Gene gave it a. He gave yeah. his best shot, so I appreciate well, that. Well, you know, Gene's lucky that when he got off the phone with Ozzy, he at least understood. It's like, well, you know what? Ozzy might take you on the road. He might not. I really don't exactly. know from the phone call. Exactly. <laughs> have to but, call uh, Chef. Uh, he did stand up for us a lot. He was, right. he was, he was instrumental in, in so many ways, so I'm very thankful for that. And I hope that, uh, you know, I, I, I did see Gene a couple of years ago, and I, I was on the radio, and I saw him outside the, uh, the glass. Oh, sure. And... I started a song and I took the headphones off and I went out to the lobby and he sees me and he just walks up and grabs him this huge, powerful bear hug. And the dude is still as strong and big as ever. Just, just, he didn't say a word. He just grabbed me and he <laughs> held me really tight. I was like, yeah, in fact, the fact that he, I, I hope he knows how much I appreciate him, how much I love him and how much, how grateful I am for, for the part he's played in my life and in my music. Well, Ron, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. And obviously people should know that South by South Dakota is out now. And the video for Red, White, and Blue, that's May 28th at, what is it? It's ultimateclassicrock.com. Yes, ultimateclassicrock.com. And that's when people will be able to find it. Uh, but they can uh, obviously find the song and the album now. Uh, and you said it, ronkeel.com. That's it, man. Everything, everything, all paths lead through there. You can yeah. find the links to our Spotify and iTunes and uh, to buy the, the CDs or CD merch bundles. We've got shot glasses, dog tags, t-shirts, the whole deal, the videos, the uh, the entire history, all the social media links to Facebook, Twitter, all that one-stop, ronkeel.com. And then from there, go wherever you want.
Well, that sounds exactly like somebody who was brought into the business by Gene Simmons. You know the importance of having the shot glasses and you know all the other things. And you know, uh, I think uh, I think it's great. And uh, obviously, the the song's great. Uh, excited for the album. And I, I, like I said, I appreciate you talking to me, Ron Keel, Ronkeel.com. Thanks to all of you who have uh, watched and/or listened to this. Uh, that's all the time we have now, and we will see you next time on the Black. My hair's turning white My neck's always been red